Well, if you'd open your Bibles back up to uh, Luke chapter 1, it's good to, be, good to be back. Missed all you guys. This morning we're going to start our uh, Advent series uh, as we look uh, into Christmas. We're gonna, it's called uh, Responding to Christmas. We're going to be looking this morning at uh, Mary's response to the announcement of the coming. We'll look at Joseph's response next week, and then the next week we'll be seeing uh, the wise men and Herod. I don't know if you ever noticed, but you can tell a lot about people by, uh, by how they arrive somewhere. If you think of the, uh, the first day of college is always a good example, right? You see the person who shows up, and they've got their, their parents kind of carrying their stuff, and their mom's hanging their folded jeans in the closet, and you pick out a little about them. Then you see the other person who, who shows up and, you know, they got kind of an entourage, the whole family, the box is really noisy, making a lot of noise down the hall, and, you know, that says something about them. There's the guy who kind of just backs his truck up. He's a day late for school, and he's got clothes in garbage bags or a duffel bag and never really unpacks. Pretty much sums him up. You see it for the way people arrive at parties. There's the person who arrives, and they self-announce, I'm here, you know, the party can begin. The person who comes late and slinks into the corner, you never knew they were there. You see it with the way people arrive at church. Some people arrive early, Bible in hands. Others arrive late, coffee in hand. You can see it all from up here. Now I say this because I, I want us to keep this idea in mind as we come to this passage. Because here we see uh, the announcement and description of the ultimate arrival. The arrival of, of God, our Savior, our King, into this world. And in it, I think we, we see the very nature of who he is and what he's about. The nature of, of the kingdom that he wants to bring. So let me just read that first section again. Verses 26 to 33, let's read it. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now what is striking and kind of in, incredible about this scene. You, 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 you could probably list off a lot of things. You probably might think just, well, the angel Gabriel making this incredible announcement. But I want to say, and I think the original readers, the Jewish readers, wouldn't, they, they, they had a lot of angels. They expected angels to bring message. That, that wouldn't be what struck them. What would strike them about this passage and this, this announcement of this arrival is the utter humility of it. The humility of the scene. See, we are told here that God is about to send the long-awaited Messiah 
king. His title will be Jesus, that is, the Lord is salvation. And it says two things about him that come right out of, we just went through 2 Samuel, come right out of 2 Samuel 7, about this Davidic king to come, the promises. He will be a king, it says here, forever. He will set up an eternal kingdom for God's people. This will be the once and for all final kingdom that will put an end to all earthly kingdoms and warring and bring peace. And every knee will bow to this king who brings justice and peace. And secondly, it tells us here that he will be God's very son. He will not just take the title son of God as many ancient kings were, you, you know, like to do, but he'll actually be God's divine son. We, we know that's what's meant here, because when we get to verse 35, the angel Gabriel kind of explains how this will happen. This is what he says, and the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. This child will not have an earthly father. He will be born of the Holy Spirit. He will be God's very son, his holy son. Think of this king that they're expecting. How's this king going to come into the world? Remember, I had that, the, the last Davidic king was King Solomon, the one they thought might be the one. And I had that reading of what his kingdom was like. I mean, just gold everywhere, so silver's not worth anything, golden lions around his throne, right? Peacocks and apes, everything you could possibly think of, this incredible kingdom. So how is this fulfillment, this final Davidic king, going to come into this world? I mean, how would you have him come? I think about when I watch the, uh, the movies where the aliens come to Earth, and they always come, right, and they have these massive ships that hover over every major city of the world in intimidation, and everybody's fearful what's going to happen. If I was the event planner for this king's arrival, it would be something like that, right? Massive angels, myriads of them hovering over the cities of the world, and finally this announcement from Gabriel that kind of shakes the earth so that windows break. But how does this king come? Well, it's just the opposite. The announcement here is that he's coming as a baby. He's simply going to be born into the world like every other human being. A baby not born of, of royal or even religious prestige. Martin Luther remarked on this. He said this, said he might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out Caiaphas' daughter, who was fair, rich, clad in gold, embroidered raiment, and attended by a retinue of maids in waiting, but God preferred a lowly maid. As the Jews are reading this, he's going to be born to who? He's going to be born to a poor peasant girl? A girl who's 12 to 14 years old, probably illiterate, and who is engaged to be married to a poor carpenter. And worst of all, she's from Nazareth. Nazareth, it just kind of goes past us, we think, quaint little place. But Nazareth was really a nowhere-nothing place. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. 
It's never mentioned in the Talmud. It's never mentioned in any rabbinical writings. It's not mentioned in any of the extra-biblical writings of Josephus. And the only statement about the town in the New Testament is on the lips of Nathaniel, who says this about it. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? This king, God's son, our savior, is going to come into the world through a nobody girl who's from a nowhere place, a place of disgrace, really. And he's going to come as a naked little baby with nothing. You couldn't, you know, write a more humble arrival. And of course, this says so much, doesn't it? The way he comes. First, it speaks, I think, simply to the authenticity and historicity of this text. Nobody would write this especially if you're trying to convince people this is God's king. But more importantly, it speaks of the nature of our God and the kingdom he's come to bring. This humiliating arrival speaks to who he is and what he's about. It's easy to view God, I think most of our world does view God just sort of as, as just sort of removed and, and disinterested, this, this ruler who just kind of controls things from afar and it is what it is. But if that was the case, if he came, he could just come with his army and, and conquer. But what we see in this arrival is this fully invested, committed, loving, king who wants to who wants to engage he wants to know us he wants to come into relationship with us walk alongside us be with us know our lives and our struggles to be more like a a father and, and a friend who's who's engaged and involved personally and this humiliation humility of his character is actually what we see throughout this whole gospel of luke if you go through it Jesus is constantly claiming to be God's great king, yet living this meek and and lowly and and engaged life. Did you ever think about the fact that you don't even hear about the first 30 years of Jesus' life? He was just a carpenter's son. And when you finally do hear, when he he comes and announces himself and begins to minister, what does he do? He's hanging out with the humblest of people. He picks fishermen as his disciples and and tax collectors, and he's hanging out with Gentiles and and peasants and, and prostitutes. He's so about this that the religious elite of the day are offended by him. And then... He went and died the humblest of deaths on a dirty Roman cross, born onto a dirty stable floor and dies on a dirty cross. It would have been a condescension for Jesus has to come and, and hovered over the world on a golden throne. That would have been a condescension for him. But he came and entered in with us into our sinful world, into our dysfunctional lives, and all the relational mess, and even the ugliness of death that looms over every human existence. He entered in fully. He humbled himself so he could be not just our king, but but he could be our savior. 
You see, Jesus' arrival as a peasant girl's baby shows us from the start the humble, personal nature of our God and the kingdom that he's come to bring. But there's another characteristic here of his arrival that we shouldn't miss that that captures who he is as well, and that is simply grace. It's not just an arrival of humility here. It's an arrival in grace. You see, one of the first things we see in this announcement from Gabriel is that it's rooted in grace. We see that God is coming to Mary and that he's chosen to send his son into her womb, into this world, by grace. We see this in the first words. Look at verse 28. It says this, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Again in verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word favored or or favor in the Greek is, is the word grace, charis, graced. Graced one. God has now graced her. He's found favor on her. Now, I have to say, the Catholic Church has made a bit of a mess of this phrase, greetings, O favored one. Uh, they, uh, because of kind of a, I would say, a less than accurate translation from the Latin Vulgate, avia gratia pleta, which means when put together with the greeting, it, it kind of came out in English as Hail Mary, full of grace. We've, uh, we've probably all heard that. It's a very popular Catholic mantra. The problem is, it makes it sound like Gabriel is greeting one who is already full of grace. Mary is this unique person who's full of all this grace. She's sort of this amazing, pure container of, of charis, of all the blessings, all the gifts as this sweet little virgin girl. And and the thinking starts to be that this is the basis of her selection. God has chosen her because she's full of grace. And thus over time she's been venerated as one who can kind of confer grace, right? And people can pray to her. But nothing can be farther from the truth. The actual Greek is communicating the, the exact opposite. God is coming to her out of his grace He is acting upon her by his unmerited favor and mercy as a free gift upon her life. And you see, it's her humble estate that makes that that, the point. She is chosen chosen precisely because she has and is nothing. She has nothing to offer God to to earn this. She has no status or or religious uh, merit. Nothing she could, couldn't even imagine any way she could deserve this. If she had been somebody of status, you might get confused and think, well, yeah, he went to her because look at who she is. But she's a nobody. I think it's pretty telling, this twisted kind of veneration of Mary, wanting to lift her up as some deserving saint picked out by God. It shows the way that we want to think about God and religion. 
It shows the way we want to make it up if we wrote the story. We want to make it about works and, and deservedness. We like to think that we can get in good with God by, by our merits. It gives us a sense of control. God will bless the good. He'll come to the, the good people, the, the people that have something in them. And I could always compare myself as good to other, you know, compared to others of deserving. No, the arrival of God's King, Jesus, is all of grace. And this will be the nature of his life and his kingdom and the salvation that he brings. We see it in his arrival. Why is it? Why is it all of grace? Because it has to be because of who we are. Because of the truth about us. We are all rebel sinners through and through to the core. Our hearts are contaminated and darkened. We can't offer to God any merit or work that's not tainted by our sin. And thus we are headed for an eternity separated from our holy, pure God, the one we were designed to be with. We can't get near in our sin. We only face death and judgment. There's no way for us to make ourselves worthy to gain salvation, to enter his forever kingdom. This is something we need to just fully understand and fully get a hold of to be able to appreciate Christmas. If you don't appreciate this truth about yourself this morning, you can't appreciate Christmas. Do you understand your, your sinful heart? Do you really get it? It's easy to miss. It's like the... Uh, it's like the little boy who decided to write to Jesus instead of Santa. Some of you may have heard this one, but I think it illustrates this well. He, he, he had got his Christmas list and he thought, Santa didn't work very well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write to Jesus. So he writes, Dear Jesus, I've been really good this whole year. I haven't lied or stolen it. And then he stops. Oh no, it's not, that's, not, that's not true, it's not crumbles up the paper. Dear Jesus, over the past six weeks, I've been really good. I, 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 I haven't fought with my sister. No, that's not. He's going to know. Crumbles that up, throws it away, starts again. Dear Jesus, in the past week, I have been really good. I haven't talked back. To, oh, no. Throws it down, hangs his head. And he goes out in his living room and he sees the little uh, nativity scene his mother has and he picks up Mary out of it. Takes a little figurine, he sets her down on the desk right in front of him. He looks at her and he begins to write, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your daughter again. <laughs> see, he understands the problem. Extortion's not the answer. But he understands the problem. He's got nothing to offer. He's contaminated. He needs grace. That is the answer. Christmas grace. That is what we see in the arrival of our Savior. It's all of grace. And it's awesome. 
Think of what this would mean to many of the early audiences listening. Luke is really targeting, I think, these Gentiles who who don't have any religious status as Jews, who know their lives are a mess with sin, who have no sacrificial system to try and make atonement. Think of what this would mean for the lowly half-breeds of Judea, of Nazareth. All the lowly, disgraced uh, of the world. It's not about wealth or religion or morality or anything we have to offer. This is good news. It's good news for me. If you know yourself at all, the grace of our Savior is good news. We need God to act upon us graciously, just like he came to Mary out of his favor, his grace. And actually, this this is what his son, the king, is all about. That's why he humbled himself and became one of us and went to the cross to give his perfect life for us so that he could bring us his grace, the gift of salvation by his favor, his kingdom of grace in our lives. But the question is, how can this be? How can this happen to us? How, how, how can his grace actually come and be applied to our lives? I mean, really, come in here. What, is, what does the process look like? Well, that brings us back to the arrival here. Because that is the question Mary asks as she listens to this. Right? Look at verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? I used to think this was a question of doubt, you know, like she's doubting, can this possibly happen? But it's not. I mean, we know when we read on in the Magnificat in verse 46 and 47, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She knows he is her Savior. She believes it. But she's asking about the process, like how is this actually going to happen? It's, it's a question that comes out of belief. And she gets the answer, verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. The answer is simple. How will this happen? How will this happen? How will this? It, it will be a work of God by his spirit coming upon her to bring the life of his son in her and thus his salvation to her and to this world. You see, the, the, the arrival of God's king, the way he entered this world, not only shows us his humility and his grace, but it also demonstrates the very way he brings his gracious kingdom, his salvation to our lives and to this world. And that is, he does it miraculously by his spirit acting on us from the inside out. 
He does it by his spirit, acting on us from the inside out. God's king didn't come into this world with a great external force, an army, and set up structures and walls and temples and legislation, therefore, and, and make his people happen that way, did he? No, he came by his spirit, bringing life and salvation inside a person and then out to the world. And that has been the nature of his kingdom and his salvation ever since. It's a spiritual kingdom about a work that happens in here, about God reigning inside us and, and his life in us, salvation from the inside out. A work only his spirit can do. This is why this book, by the way, the book of Luke, ends in chapter 24, 49, towards the end at least, with his disciples waiting for the promise of Jesus to come upon them. What was the promise that he left them with? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. This book begins with the Spirit coming upon Mary to bring God's Savior into her and it ends with his disciples waiting for his spirit to come upon them so that they can take his salvation to the world this is exactly what happens in the book of Acts right we need to remember this today as Christians where we, we so desperately want to change the world for Christ change does not come from our external maneuvering and politics and religious influence and effort. It's an inside-out miracle of God by His Spirit. And this is why we as believers, every single one of us individually, can actually relate to Mary. You think Mary. I can't relate to Mary. She's one very different person from me and what God did in her life completely different no each one of us this is how our salvation happened out of sheer grace God has come and acted upon our lives we did nothing to earn it or deserve it but like Mary our Savior has been born in us God's Spirit has manifested His life and His salvation in us. Paul puts it this way, Christ is formed in you. And then, through us, His salvation goes out to the world as we bring the gospel. Kind of like Mary birthing Jesus. My friends, our King Jesus came into this world in humility to enter into our lives, to be with us, to even take on our sin and our death. And he came into this world by grace, not, not on the basis of any merit. And he came into this world through his spirit working from the inside out in a person. This is what Christmas is all about. God's king coming in humility and grace and bringing his salvation by his spirit to our lives. And this is still how he brings in his kingdom. Still how he comes to our lives. So how do we respond 
to such a God, such an incredible Savior? How do we respond? We'll look at Mary. That's the last verse of our text. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She says, Lord, I'm yours. I believe your words. I trust you. May it be to me as you have said. May your will be done in my life. If you're not a Christian this morning, this is how you receive the gift of Christmas. This is what Christmas is about. This is how you receive salvation. You can't do anything. You just say, Lord, I believe, I trust you, let it be done. This is God's way of delivering the whole world and each individual life. That's the good news of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son into this world through a little virgin girl. For sending him to be one of us, to be with us, to be humble unto death for us, to bring his salvation to us and in us by your spirit, by your grace, we have been saved. Amen.